Irish wristwatch, Irish wristwatch, Irish wristwatch, Irish wristwatch. See a swarm up. I am a farmer. (laughs) Man, uh, do you really love that uh, collegiate Texas basketball team, the Texas Swarm Up? (laughs) Texas Swarm Up. And I also really like eating at Texas Shwarma. Texas Shwarma. <laughs> it's all the same. Howdy, y'all. My name's Texas Jim, and I'm here from Hollywood Studios in L.A. Howdy, y'all. I'm Texas Jim's brother, Beto. Beto O'Rourke. That's just someone who's running. My name's Beto O'Rourke. I'm from down. Texas. <laughs> down Texas. I was going to say down under? <laughs> down from, under. I'm from under Texas. My, oh. The underside of Texas. I heard uh, I heard Toby Fox is working on a sequel to the Undertale. <laughs> under Texas. John, oh, what weapon would Donald Trump use if he played D and D? Well, I guess it, it would depend on his class. A fire staff. Oh, like he fires his. And welcome back to Zero Credits, the show where we talk about things. My name's Henry. Hey, Paisanos. My name's John. And together we're Henry and John coming at you with the zeitgeist at our backs. That's right, Paisanos. Okay, that's the second time you said Paisanos. I don't know what that means. What's up? Paisanos? Oh, it's uh, it's generally a term for kind of a lower economic class peasant. You're calling our listeners lower economic class peasants? Well, I thought we wouldn't get into getting a definition for it. I just thought it would be a fun kind of fluid thing kind of to adopt as a catchphrase that no one really pay attention to i I, you can't say a foreign word in america these days and not have people demand the answer from you okay fine i'll think of a different thing i wouldn't call people lower class people that no one likes that but i mean maybe it's like a familial thing i don't know what italian is i'm assuming that's the language it's from Okay, a lot a lot of guesswork <laughs> happening right now. Let's just move past it. John, oh, we live in a crazy time. We do. And you know, I've used that I've used that exact phrase a lot of times, but this time I mean it. Because I'm talking about a specific time and that time is right now in Austin, Texas. So we live in a crazy time and a crazy place. I got stuff all over my face and you didn't even say anything. I don't know how to bring it up on the podcast. All right. Uh, yeah, we live in a crazy time and place, like a, a crazy space time, if you will. You want to know why? You know why. We both know why. You might know why, listener. It is national news at this point. Yeah, people people are getting blown up by bombs. Yeah, people are uh, people are receiving package bombs in the state, the city, the state of Texas, the city being Austin, the capital of Texas, if you will, Austin. There have been four. Mm-hmm. Explosions in Austin so far, going back to March second, and uh, some of them unfortunately are have been deadly. Yeah, at least one has. Yeah, it's super scary stuff. Three have three. Three of the bombs have been deadly. Oh man, yeah, it's not it's not a fun time, and it, it's gotten to the point where normally you would think more bombs, more information, we can like 
get in, kind of like get into the mind of whoever's doing this. Mm-hmm. The, 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 the fourth bomb threw a wrench into everything. Because the first two bombs, the first three bombs were all in sort of like lower economic, more minority uh, neighborhoods and areas. So you, you might think, okay, this is racially motivated. Mm-hmm. The fourth bomb was in a well-off area, and the victims were two mid-twenties uh, white guys. Mm. So that throws a wrench in the, 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 the racially motivated thing. So making it seem largely indiscriminate. And it could be a red herring. Mm-hmm. Uh, because, you know, as soon as the media starts saying, okay, we think this is racially motivated, you're the killer... You want to, like, cast a wider profile so people can't narrow it down to you. You go bomb some white people. I mean, that criminal 101, right? Yeah, I mean, the the thing about striking from a place of high visibility and, at this point, complete anonymity is that, considering the fact that a 24 news cycle will basically show what popular opinion of your criminal exploits is, you can switch the strategy if need be. And the only, the other thing that changed about the fourth bombing, you mentioned that the first three were package bombs. Unmarked packages people would pick up or bring into their home, and they would either explode upon being picked up or opened. Mm-hmm. They actually worked different mechanically. The fourth bomb was just a tripwire. No Ugh. package involved. Ugh. So, I hate it. <laughs> so... Maybe this person's mixing things up on purpose, and we got the Austin police making the official press release statement that we are dealing with a sophisticated serial bomber mm. who is well-versed in bomb-making. They, they, the working theory is it's one person who just knows how to make bombs. Now, where do you learn to make bombs, John? See, that's that's the thing that I wonder, because, I mean, I know the internet exists, but I think that as far as hobbies go... And I might be wrong, but I think that bomb making is a hobby with a high barrier to entry and also a pretty significant drop off for your unskilled bomb makers. Yeah, I mean, we're not talking about like lock picking, which is a very, a very popular hobby in a theoretical sort of sense. Mm-hmm. It's a hobby that you don't really get to practice unless you go to specific conventions and safe cracking, you know, events. Mm hmm. Because any any practice of it in the real world is instant gray area, yeah. instant you know legal not funness. Unless you're picking a lock on your own diary, <laughs> in which case, I mean, yeah, you're you're, pricky, you're picking sanctioned locks, basically locks yeah. that you have permission to pick. Yeah, there's no bomb making events. One would hope that there are no bomb-making conventions. Bomb-making across all sort of borders of the America is is highly illegal. Yeah, not not a preferred pastime, for sure. And I mean, like, I think that as far as hobbies go, uh... It, it's it's got a pretty good litmus test for whether you're going to be a good bomb maker or not. Because <laughs> either you are or you don't exist anymore. Like, oh, oh, you mean like decent at bomb making? Yeah. So so we're dealing with a highly skilled individual who somehow picked up how to make bombs, mm-hmm. even though there's not a lot of good legal excuses for having that knowledge. Mm-hmm. Military would be okay. Yeah. Miners? 
Maybe miners make bombs. Well, I'm talking about like historically. Yeah, historically. the invention of dynamite was yeah for train building, tra- railroad building, um, construction workers, I guess, demolition experts. Yeah, maybe like turn of the century ne'er do wells <laughs> who twirl their mustaches and they have like big round a- bombs. Oh with yeah, big wicks on them, <laughs> comically sized wicks that give the hero just enough time to. Either blow it out or lick their fingers and, <laughs> and snuff it out. Yeah. I just... And the thing is about about bombers, historically, is that they all have typically, like, an agenda. Mm-hmm. Like, the Unabomber had his agenda to put a smile across the, U- the U.S. Mm-hmm. But you keep... It's like... Take any artist, for instance. Take, like, a painter... Yeah. Who has maybe an agenda, mm-hmm. and they express it through their paint. We can get clues from what they do. Yeah. At maybe what they're trying to express, or, or what they're expressing. Mm-hmm. Uh, with a bomber, no, there's no chance. There's no, there's no nuance to a bomb. Mm-hmm. It's just, hey, someone who used to be alive is now dead. Uh, well, from what I understand, uh, I was doing a little bit of reading about this. To some extent, there is a surprising amount of artistic influence in the bomb-making process. Are, are you bullshitting me? Or no, is this... I'm 100% serious. Okay. So I was reading an interview with uh, an expert who worked on the Unabomber case. And he's he works with the FBI and he's been trying... Basically, he thwarts bombers. All right. And Is uh, he here? Probably. <laughs> he probably is. Uh, but from what I understand, almost every bomb maker develops a tell for the bombs that they create. Because all bombs, like you said, there's not a lot of information about there, so, out there about how to make bombs. So bombs aren't something that you can kind of paint by numbers. You have to develop your own system in a certain way. Okay. And bomb making, like I said, a dangerous hobby. So in most cases, bomb makers will find things that work for them. Just something that is maybe uh, a workaround for a physical disability they have or a lack of dexterity. Just something that makes it easier for them to make a bomb without it killing them. And usually all of their bombs will share this. And that's the first step to finding a bomber. So finding or decoding the fingerprint. Yeah, they, they call it a fingerprint. They call it a tell. It's the thing about these bombs that specifically make it so this person did not kill themselves when they were making it. Now that's super interesting, but I, I you have to wonder how much can you can you decipher from the exploded remains of a bomb? Uh, a surprising amount in some cases, I guess, because I I was reading about one where they ended up catching a guy who was attempting to mail a bunch of package bombs because the thing that he used to separate the two chemicals or whatever the blue I don't know how bombs re- work the reactive agents. Yeah, the the thing that separated the two things for the chemical reaction was a piece of plastic from a Wilson tennis ball oh, tube okay. that was cut in a specific shape. And then they noticed that all of these had that, and that was their first clue for catching the guy. All right, so, because one of my concerns about the investigation that's going on, I mean, the FBI is here, and of course Austin police are, are on the case and it's it, and I, I understand the the withholding of public information because it's a way to get suspects to like reveal more than they should 
Uh, it, it's a way to control this, the flow of information so that they can control where the investigation goes. But like what's been revealed so far is, has been so limited mm-hmm. that it's my fear that they, they don't have anything. Yeah. But going from what this interview that you read with this bomb expert, they, they, they might have more in specific, like specifically about the bomb making then they're letting on, and of course they wouldn't reveal that yet, because then the bomber would be have a chance to change things so that you know it doesn't point specifically to them. Yeah, like we said earlier, like if you're operating from a place of pure anonymity, but also you're very visible, uh, your acts are very visible. Then if you are part of you know a law enforcement you want to make sure that as little information is out there as possible so that you can try to catch this dude because if you say hey he separated the chemical reactants with a piece of a wilson tennis ball thing immediately you'll change your strategy yeah or you'll stop and never be caught this is this is a weird fascinating thing as a person who loves reading like cold cases and unresolved mysteries to be living in, like, a current investigation is fascinating. And I can see where, where internet detectives fall into the trap of, like, trying to solve it. Mm-hmm. Because Sunday night was the, the most recent bombing. And it, that was the tripwire bombing. And uh, yesterday morning, what an explosion happened in San Antonio at a FedEx facility involving a device and a package exploding and people are wondering whether or not the two are linked and I automatically like if we include the San Antonio sort of event as part of this then I started putting on a timeline he sets up the tripwire bomb and then he leaves town mm-hmm. goes to San Antonio to drop off the the FedEx bomb mm-hmm. and leaves San Antonio, of course, yeah, to come back to Austin for whatever's happening next. Mm-hmm. I have no evidence to back that up, other but than still, these events are happening. Yeah, but still, you're. I think that our nature as human beings makes us go, hmm. And like the sad thing about this is, for a bomber that's not communicating with the police at all. The only puzzle pieces we have are these explosive incidents. Mm-hmm. And so until the next one, we really don't know what's going to happen. And that's where the fear comes in, John. Yeah, the ever-present fear. I checked my mail for the first time this month because I reasoned, well, no one's exploded at my mailbox yet. Yeah. So well, I, how could you be the first? Right? Yeah. And even then, there was a moment of hesitation putting the key into the lock that I was like, what if what if it's just on my side? And that's why the male person no. can keep putting... And, yeah. But I, I went through with it. I opened it up. And I'm like, if this is my time, let it be. Mm-hmm. But I don't like living in a world where I have to fear my male. Yeah, I don't, I don't like living in fear. I don't think anyone does. Uh, two things bring me solace. My apartment complex is pretty heavily surveilled. So at least if I blow up, they might catch the guy. That's comforting. Secondly, I've seen the mailman put the mail in the slots. It would blow up when he was handling it. He's very rough. (laughs) Ralph is very rough. Oh, poor Ralph. I I mean, like, if you're... The FedEx thing makes me unnerved, unlike anything else. Mm -hmm. 
Because I, I was operating under under the suspicion that these were hand-delivered packages. Yeah, yeah, I believe all of them were until this one. Okay. They, they didn't have any indication of shipping label or anything like that. They were just left. They were unmarked. And but but going through FedEx, that is insane. Yeah, I mean, uh, package bombs have been a thing in the past. You know, uh, sending them out. But it, I mean, the thing about anonymous bombing is, I feel like we as a society should have gotten better about catching people who do it. But as crimes go, it's a toughie. Yeah. Because if someone's significantly good at it, it's very difficult to catch them. And it's sort of all of, like, of course, he's probably wearing gloves, but any sort of identifying, you know, evidence left kind of gets blown up. Yeah. Uh, well, that was one thing that I was, that was covered kind of in the, the interview with aforementioned bomb expert. Uh, and he said that not as much of a bomb gets destroyed as you might think. Okay. Because most, yeah, it blows up. But it's not like it disintegrates. All right. You know, you, you can pull uh, forensic and actionable information off of fragments of a box. All right. But uh, I don't know. I'm trying to stay vigilant, but I'm also trying to not live in fear. And trying to strike a balance between those two things is tough. I, I, I honestly, I wasn't, I wasn't, it didn't affect me that much. Until I looked at a map, yeah, and realized that the first bomb was not too far away. I thought it was southern. Yeah, I no, thought it, it, it. I thought it was on the other end of the city. When I saw that first bomb, I was like, "Ah, boy!" It, it's like in between our apartments, but but more yeah, west or more east. Yeah, exactly. And like when I when I saw that, I was like, "Oh no!" But then I realized that that's a shitty standpoint to take because I'm like, "Oh no, it's closer to me." These other people, I would have been happier if it was just them blowing it up. I, that, that's the classic sort of human fallacy of like, it's not affecting me currently. Yeah. Therefore, I don't care. That's that's the trap people fall in. Mm-hmm. We just fell in it because yeah. we're human. And we don't want to die. And, and we, we want those other people to die instead. Well, in a perfect world, no one would die. No one would make anonymous bombs to blow up people. Yeah. But at the, I don't know, it's, just, it's, a, it's a tricky situation, and maybe we're bad people. Yeah. I, ma- <laughs> I don't think we're bad people. Here's the thing. Here's an honest belief of mine. I think that, yes, in a perfect world, no one would be an anonymous bomber. In a perfect world, uh, no one would get blown up by these bombs. Uh, in a perfect world, according to, like, my lizard brain, I would live, period. <laughs> <laughs> Those other people... It, bummer that they got blown up, but the the basest part of my psyche is like, I'm glad that I am not dead, so I can continue to eat. Yeah. yeah. And that's what it all comes down to. I want to continue to eat. The lizard portion the lizard portion of humanity is probably the worst portion of humanity. Absolutely. I just I wish the FBI inv- investigation well. I I, I hope they catch this guy before the next explosive event. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I just, I don't know. I wish we lived in a world where violent events like this didn't happen. I don't know if you know this, but there was another school shooting today. Yeah. And, uh, quick aside to that, I uninstalled my podcast listening app. Okay. Uh, because it pushes, like, breaking news updates. Interesting. It's an odd choice. 
Uh, it, it's been good so far, but it pushed out a breaking news update that said school shooting in Maryland, two victims, yada yada. Yeah. Uh, but it was surrounded in explosion and gun emojis. Oh my god, it's- I saw... I saw a picture of that today. Did you? Yes. Instantly removed it. Yeah, no, someone was like, that's a really poor taste of emojis. And it was little bang emojis and gun emojis. It's like, Jesus Christ, who who approved that? Yeah, who greenlit the emojis for a school shooting? What app was that? CastBox. I've never heard of it. Yeah, and maybe it was aggregated from somewhere else, and maybe this this headline was on whatever picture that was. Maybe that was a headline somewhere else. Yeah. Uh, I liked it until it propagated emoji shooting news to me. There's a time and a place. Yeah, there is a time and a place for emoji. Yeah. Oh, no, I never turned off the air conditioning. Uh, Sorry about that, but we should be good to go now. All right, so uh, there is a time and place for emojis. Oh, okay. Uh, and it is not in headlines about about school shootings whatsoever. Uh, wait, shit. Fuck. I had a segue. Oh, no. Shit. Uh, we anyway, were, keep talking about whatever you were talking we about. We were talking about the mayor. I was going to bring up that the, the shooter was brought down by a resource officer who was armed. And so now everyone's sort of like... What's the politically correct way to say it? Jerking themselves over the fact that Gun violence was stopped by a gun, and but, I mean, a troubled person was shot and killed. Yeah, a troubled person <laughs> was shot and killed, so just proving, finally, the myth has been proven. The only thing to stop a sick man, a sick person with a gun, is to murder them. Yeah, look, I don't want to get into gun control and all that, just because... <sighs> It's a very political... We try not to get political here. Yeah. But... Mental health needs a fucking overhaul. It it really does. And also, we try not to get political here. You'd agree with that. I just said it, so yes. <laughs> uh, so, uh, what was the name of uh, American Sniper Dude? Bradley Cooper? <laughs> You know, who he was in real life. Oh, I don't know his name in real life because I don't honor murderers. Oh, he was murdered. What? You didn't know this? Recently? No, he w- no, not recently, but he was killed. What? He was just doing a book tour, like, three years ago. Yeah, he was killed in the intervening time. How is it? Who killed him? Uh, let me... The plastic baby from the movie? <laughs> okay, that's a terrible joke. I, I, I don't want to make light of his death. But I will say that what he did was he took a friend of his that was suffering uh, PTSD, a pretty pretty sick individual. Um, he took them mentally sick. I don't mean to say sick as like a derogatory thing. But he took them to a shooting range and they killed him. Whoa. American Sniper, uh, historically one of the deadliest U.S. soldiers and the most equipped to respond in a circumstance. When you had both him and someone else with a loaded gun, he was killed. So what you're saying is it doesn't matter how good... Doesn't matter how good the good guy is with a gun, people can still end up dead. It's... it's Look. It's a device that's only purpose is to kill. Yeah. Maybe there should be some regulations on that. That's all. That That's my... The entirety of my statement. Whoa now, Henry. Don't say things that are ridiculous now. I mean, they didn't let just anyone have a sword. Or a bomb. Oh, no one can have a bomb. <laughs> it's true. There was a, that's this dumb argument that's happening right now. It's like, oh, maybe we should 
put regulations on bombs, and if if the police had bombs, they could stop the bomb. It's like, look, shut up. Yeah. Shut up. Yeah. It's an entirely different scenario. They cannot... It's a false equivalency. Look, the only way to stop a a good guy with a gun is a good guy with a bomb. Bombs beat guns beats knives. Knives, (laughs) But knives beat bombs somehow. Oh, let's get off of this. Yeah, let's let's get off of this and on to something else. There's a time and a place to use emojis. There, there is a time and a place to use emojis. And I say that a time and a place to use emojis is not Facebook. Oh, I, I also had a dumb segue into this where I was going to say, Hey, John, maybe it's time we start spelling Facebook with a backwards R. Face... Brooke. That's exactly how I thought you would react, like to the to the to the thing. Now, oh. now let me let me say something here, Henry. Are you gonna also? You may have had a better segue than me, but I have something that I would like to introduce to you as a concept, and I think we can both amicably agree to meet our content and meld it into a greater omni segment. All right. So, have you ever been in a film and philosophy class or any philosophy class that generally has a uh, presence of films in the curriculum? I mean, I took a philosophy of sci-fi class where we watched The Matrix, Blade Runner, some Doctor Who. Okay. So, I guess the answer is <laughs> Yes, I took a nerdy-ass philosophy class. All right. Well, it doesn't sound like it fits my example, so probably forget it. So in most philosophy classes that end up uh, talking about this idea in philosophy called theodicy, basically the idea behind theodicy is how can we accept the fact that there's a benevolent God when evil exists in the world? Oh, yeah, the the classic God conundrum. Yeah. So uh, usually what people will do is they will play this movie called God on Trial. Okay. Uh, I think there have been a few versions of God on Trial. Essentially, God on Trial is a decent movie about uh, concentration camp uh, workers, prisoners. I don't know if there's a harsh enough word to describe what people in concentration camps would have been. Soldiers. But they're like in it. (laughs) They were just following orders. No, but they were like prisoners of it. Oh, victims. Victims. Concentration camp victims. And uh, they... Essentially, hold a trial for God. Mm. With They're trying to indict God on the charge that how could God be good and allow this to happen. But that's not important. What I would like to introduce is a modern day sequel, which I like to call Facebook on Trial. Oh, so how could Facebook allow this to happen if there's an all, all good knowing Facebook? Yes, so if facebook exists as a force for good how can it explain the things that is it has allowed to happen to its users well i think before we address that we should back up because i I don't i don't know if everybody knows about what's going on with facebook oh you mean present the evidence i I, yeah i think we should start with exhibit a Uh or one exhibit one and uh and and go through it and, and say exactly what is happening with facebook Russia, etc. Mm-hmm. Get into it. Oh. Oh, I thought you had it pulled up on your laptop. I just have evidence that Russia is deeply embedded into Facebook. I don't know what, what exactly is happening around that evidence. Oh, well, I'd like to bring up one thing about Facebook uh, that 
is kind of hot in the news right now. Okay. And it's endemic of a greater problem that Facebook has that we've talked a little bit about on this podcast. But have you heard of Cambridge Analytica? I've uh, That name has come up recently in conjunction with the campaign. So uh, Cambridge Analytica is, uh, I guess, a marketing firm, maybe a, a digital strategy firm, whatever bullshit they call themselves. And they are the most recent of a long line of coercive political machines that use data from Facebook to fuel their efforts. All right. And they would collect insane amounts of data from Facebook to build, uh, like, psychological profiles of people and then target them with advertising that was politically fueled for a certain message. In this case, the propagation of the uh, Trump campaign and a lot of ideologies on the right. So basically everything... For conservatism, not just for the right. Okay. Yeah. So basically everything Facebook said they weren't doing, they were doing. As in they were amassing data and selling it to people who might not have our best interests at heart. Well, here's the thing. Uh, so far, I th- believe the concern is that there was a massive data breach at Facebook uh, dating back to 2015... That they never made their users aware of. Yeah. And a part of that data breach is what gave them, gave uh, Cambridge Analytica some of the data they used to build these psychological profiles on people. So exhibit A, I dare say, in a long line of instances where this has happened with Facebook, Facebook as a massive aggregator of data has either wittingly or unwittingly let that data be used to harm people and affect the world negatively. Well, I would argue, based on the evidence that I have, that it was willingly. All right. Um, Exhibit B. The the thesis statement of this evidence is that Russia is deeply embedded into Facebook. Uh Uh-huh. And it starts in 2009. Great. Oh, no. Russian social media mogul Yuri Milner invested $200 million into Facebook at a valuation of $10 billion without voting rights or a seat on the board. To understand this investment, at the time, the world was going through a global recession, and Facebook's general valuation had dropped from the $15 billion from the year prior to 4 to $6 billion in 2009. Mm-hmm. So this Russian guy, Yuri Milner, yes. drops the equivalent of $10 billion into Facebook without voting rights and without a seat on the board. So for seemingly no reason, I guess he was just being altruistic. It seems seemingly altruistic. Let's keep reading. What? How do you how do you drop ten million com- ten billion into a company? I guess he didn't do it in the form of stock purchases. Maybe in the form of a donation. It doesn't actually go into exactly how. I mean, it's an investment. Hmm. Ooh. Maybe we'll do some more digging anyway. All right, one company did offer about a valuation of $8 billion, but with a seat on the board, which Zuckerberg was strongly against. So in other words, Yuri Milner invested in Facebook when they were strapped for cash and at an inflated price without voting rights or a seat on the board. Seemingly an amazing deal for Facebook. Yes, absolutely. The deal was coordinated by Ashir B. Osmanov. Mm-hmm. A Russian oligarch. Always. 
Man, always a good descriptor of a good, solid, nice person, Russian oligarch. That earned his fortune managing steel mill subsidies. Thank you. Subsidiaries. For Gazprom. Now, Gazprom's a pretty important name in all this. Isn't Gazprom? No. Is it that Russian oil company? I think so, yes. Okay. Uh, Usmanov spent six years in prison for fraud and embezzlement in the 80s. Just throwing that out there. Probably for nothing. In 2008, Usmanov fired a publisher and editor at one of Russia's most respected newspapers after it published detailed accounts of Russian election fraud. Weird. Weird. Weird that he would do that. Weird. I mean, he's seemingly such a nice guy. I don't think this is politically motivated. It is said his ties to the Kremlin and Facebook have stirred concerns that he might influence the company's policies in subtle ways to appease governments and markets where Facebook is also an important tool of political dissent, such as Russia. Oh. This was in 2009. Okay, so this was in 2009, about seven years before all this shit hit the fan. Yeah? Usmanov is close friends with Russian oligarch Roman Abramovich. Uh-huh. Which is a name I've heard before. I have heard that name. I don't know what he is. Me either. Ivanka Trump and Wendy Ding... Deng? Ding? are good friends with Abamovich's then-wife, Dasha Zukova. Here they are watching a tennis match. So we have a picture of these people in the same place. Uh Uh-huh. The leak of the Paradise Papers. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you remember that. I don't. That's when basically a bunch of tax haven Yeah, the tax haven info, yep. Got leaked. uh, Revealed the money Yuri Mil... Milner used to invest into Facebook came from Gazprom, mm-hmm. a U.S. sanctioned Russian oil and gas company, at one point owning 9% of the company. Oh boy. Soon after, Zuckerberg and Milner became friends, meeting monthly, and even spoke together in November 2015 at the 2016 Breakthrough Prize Ceremony. In May 2012, Milner attended Zuckerberg's wedding. <laughs> oh boy. In 2014, Milner moved to California to live with Mark Zuckerberg in a home he paid 100% above value on. Oh, good. Sounds like a money laundering scheme. Yeah. Gazprom financed the spy ring that in 2013 tried to recruit Trump advisor Carter Page before being broken up by the FBI. One of the spies tried to recruit Page, set of Page, he got hooked on Gazprom. Mm-hmm. So, these people have a history. Most certainly they, they have a history of influencing uh, political swings, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and this, 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 this goes on and on. Like, there is so much connecting Zuckerberg to Milner, to Gazprom, to spies, to rigging elections and political... Dissonance, like to to the pretty much the entirety of the the Trump campaign's uh, last. I, I say Trump campaign. The Trump campaign didn't do it. Uh, no, no, yeah, because I think it would be silly to say. But there there was a huge amount of uh, propagated false information that was put through Facebook uh, that seemingly uh, nothing was done about until the election was over. Yeah, and, and I just got to a part. That ties directly to the Trump 
not campaign, but those around the campaign. Mm -hmm. Um, So Facebook had embeds into the Trump campaign working with Brad Parscale, Trump's digital director. Mm -hmm. Based on Kushner's quotes, these embeds may have worked closely with Cambridge and Analytica. And here's here's a quote. We found that Facebook and digital targeting were the most effective ways to reach the audiences. After the primary, we started ramping up because we knew that doing a national campaign is different than doing a primary campaign. That was when we formalized the system because we had to ramp up for digital fundraising. We brought in Cambridge Analytica. I called some of my friends from Silicon Valley, who were some of the best digital marketers in the world, and I asked them how to scale this stuff. What digital marketer do we know from Silicon Valley? Uh, oh. Oh, no. Zuckerberg, <laughs> oh, right? Oh, no. It's all perfect. It all fits. That's terrifying. Uh, Teresa Wong from the Trump campaign says that people from Facebook, Google, and YouTube were helping us. They were basically our hands-on partners. Oh, great. Yay. Yep. Okay, so that's exhibit B. <laughs> In the video above, Teresa Wong says from the... From Teresa Wong from the Trump campaign says, quote, without Facebook, we wouldn't have won. I agree. (laughs) I 100% agree. Uh, That's crazy. Like, we we always talk about conspiracy theories Mm -hmm. and how, like, people who believe in conspiracy theories are crazy. But this is an actual conspiracy with enough tangible and, like, links that you you could say... There is a Russian conspiracy with Facebook to put certain people in certain places. Let me ask you a question, Henry. What's up? Uh, Do you like conspiracy theories? I like reading about the fake ones, like how Mark Zuckerberg is a robot lizard person. Because you're in one. Oh, fuck. (laughs) It's like that Pirates of the Caribbean movie, only no one's singing. Yeah, no one is singing. And, uh, yeah. that Okay, so Exhibit B, very damning. Uh, so I guess the biggest question that Facebook on trial has, and this is something that I've been struggling with today and actually for the past two days quite a bit, and it's a very real question and a lot of people seem to be acting on this impulse. Does it make sense to quit Facebook? That's a really great question. Because it's it's very easy to unplug from Facebook and walk away from it for a second and kind of straighten your life out yeah but i i've been struggling with this because if we're accepting that and i mean even barring conspiracy theories terrible things have happened on facebook that have allowed the world to get to be a worse place yeah why stay because because for instance I have a friend uh-huh. who doesn't have texting on his phone. Yes. Who our main mode of communication is the Messenger app through yep. Facebook. Uh, that friend is you, John. Yeah. I have texting on my phone now. What the hell? Just some amateur hour. Okay. Uh, but you do? Yeah, no, I have I have a bunch of stuff on my phone now. We never text. Yeah, I never text anyone. I just use the Facebook thing. 
Yeah, why? Why is that? Because it was convenient for a while. Because uh, when I didn't have texting, I just kind of started using the uh, the Facebook app because I didn't believe in texting because uh, I was cheap. But then over time, it's so hard for me to think about quitting Facebook because of ubiquity. Yeah. Because it's it's how I get in contact with most people. Yeah, I mean, it... it... It has become this weird cornerstone of a lot of people's lives. Uh, this is this is how we stay in touch with people. And it the I don't think really that it's something that was intentional to make it impossible for us to quit Facebook, but it's something that's part of a concerted marketing push on Facebook's behalf to make everything that they roll out beat everything else yeah so it becomes this seemingly insidious march towards total ubiquity and homogeneity with how you interact with your friends like a lot of philosophers talk about like what is it not the singularity but post-humanism how we're all going to sort of like migrate digitally yeah transhumanism trans yeah into this weird mass entity of existence. Mm-hmm. Facebook's doing that with social media platforms. I mean, Facebook is is aggregating all of our data to a terrifying degree and not using it for good things. And, and the thing is, like, when something comes out to rival Facebook, they either destroy it or they absorb it. Yeah. I mean, they got Instagram. Mm-hmm. They're, no one... It, it's... Okay, all they have is Instagram. They have Instagram. <laughs> um... But Instagram was was angling to dethroning that, at least with the generation after us, and now it's just them. Yeah, it, it's just them who have Instagram. I mean, like, it's... I, I've given up a lot of things in my life because I don't believe in them. And because I don't think that they fit with my worldview. And it's always kind of been tough, but I've done it. And is the next thing that people need to give up to live their truest lives, Facebook? I mean, it might be. I barely use Facebook anymore. Yeah, I I use it way too much. I, way, way, way too much. I basically have one so that my girlfriend is happy that it says she's dating me. Yeah. And not that she's just in a relationship. Because if I delete my Facebook, that little bit of information goes away. Yeah. I, uh, I for the most part despise Facebook and it is such an integral part of my life that the idea of getting rid of it fills me with such dread that I haven't felt about giving up anything else. Yeah. Like I gave up most of the things people eat. I've given up a lot of ideologies. I've given up like certain modes of transportation. I've given up political ideologies, but I can't give up Facebook. I mean, you have given up a lot and it might be that You've just given up too much. I don't think I've given up too much. I think that every every time, and this is just from my experience, but every time I close the door to something I don't believe in, a million windows open up to a bunch of other stuff that I love way more than living things, living with things that I found to be inauthentic. Yeah. At just just Googling, like, delete Facebook hashtag, because that's how I find my news articles. Uh-huh. <laughs> um... A lot of people are just calling for you to delete your Facebook, even like the creator of WhatsApp, mm-hmm. who was acquired by Facebook recently. He's saying delete it. Uh, Kamel Nanjiani tweeted out, 
I don't know how anyone could have a Facebook still. Yeah. A lot of people are calling for it to end, but uh, uh, maybe there's a way to protect your data. If I can read this CNN Money article real quick. This This is what happens when I'm trying to research things in real time. I mean, my concern is maybe there's a way to protect your data and that would be useful to people, but maybe that's just a half measure. Do you ever, maybe this is just me. Are you ever holding your phone and you're like standing near a window or a lake or something and you think what exceptional freedom it would be to cast your phone into a lake? No, because I like Fire Emblem Heroes. But yeah, true. But I think about that sometimes. Like what if, what if we cut something off? Because it would be inconvenient, but can you imagine the freedom of not doing Facebook anymore? I mean, I already sort of don't do Facebook anymore. I I mean, I did get this weird sort of gratification from updating my profile picture uh, recently and just how many people liked that and that made me feel great. That's it. That's the drug. That's how they get you. But that was the first time I had switched my my profile picture all year. Yeah. So, I mean, everyone comes in because it's the only one they've seen recently, so they're like... Let's let's get all, let's give them all the likes. Maybe I should do that. Maybe I should just lurk. No, you know what I'm gonna do? Here's what I'm gonna do. Don't delete your Facebook. I'm not gonna delete my Facebook. You're gonna delete the app. I am deleting the app. I mean, I already do that because the app drains your battery. It, it's a bad app. Look at this. It's happening live. Do, he's un, he's hitting okay. Still uninstalling. It's uninstalling. That's uninstalled. It's uninstalled. Step one. Delete your Facebook app, but not account, because I'm terrified. Still have the Messenger app, though. Uh, well, You guys should follow me on Signal. What's Signal? Signal's like an encrypted uh, data, uh, an encrypted messaging app. It's pretty sweet. I have to follow people on Signal to message them? No, but you need to put in their number. Mine's 602-111-835-533. I'm not going to remember that, even though it's recorded for posterity. Posterity. Uh, that felt good. Deleting the app? That felt really good. Well, yeah, do that. Yeah, delete the Facebook app. Just make it harder to get to it. Don't give them your ad money. (laughs) Don't. Facebook gets ad money? I mean, sure, oh. they get money from users using it. I, I, you're right. I, look, all I know is if you're not convinced that you should delete Facebook, maybe you should know that Mark Zuckerberg has been unloading Facebook stock over the past three months at a higher rate than any CEO on the market today. That's probably a pretty good, uh, a pretty good indicator that it's good times for Facebook. Well, uh, I mean, okay, so he's he's in a special case. He's not like the Equifax guy who can, like, just offload stock when he wants to. Mm-hmm. There's this weird thing where he's, like, he doesn't have direct access to his stocks. He has to put in orders, and they're carried out over time. Yeah. But this has been consistently for the past three months. Not saying he's dumping a bunch of stock before this news broke, but it seems like this news was going to break. And he might have known about it, and he's dumping a lot of stock. What if What if he put the order in there, like, how much would you like to sell over X period of time? He's like, all of it. <laughs> Get rid of it all. 
Zuckerberg is a fascinating person because before this news broke, he was doing a country country-wide tour taking like photo ops with farmers in in the Midwest. Uh-huh. And, and doing that weird botched VR thing in, in Puerto Rico. Uh-huh. And it seemed like he might have been vying for a political career. Let's hope not now. What other sort of justification for getting in with the Russians would he have other than vying for political power? True. Uh, I mean, other than money. He, yeah, I mean, I he guess doesn't he doesn't need really money. need money. Because unlike unlike certain other individuals who have gotten deep with the Russians, he was set for life. Yeah. I mean, I, I just never want to see a President Zuckerberg. I would never want to see one either, especially because he would be our first robotic president. Yeah, he was human, and he, now he's not. <laughs> there's this great video where he trips up and he says when he was human... <laughs> And it's not a mistake. He's not human anymore. He's not. He's a robot lizard person, and it's not funny. Two people are robots on Earth. One is Mark Zuckerberg. The other is, uh, what's that guy's name? Jeff Bezos. Who's Jeff Be? Oh, the, the CEO of Amazon. Actually, no, I take that back. The fiction I'm creating is one where Zuckerberg's a robot, and Jeff Bezos is still human, tragically human. That's why he's getting buff. And, like, wearing sunglasses because he's, like, building a resistance. Okay. And then him and the robot empire will fight. Look, then he'll lose. <laughs> this, we, we live in a weird time. And as a weird little end cap to all of that evidence I presented, remember the name Wendy Dang that I mentioned earlier? Uh-huh. Uh, she basically brokered a deal, is how I'm going to put it. Between Jared Kushner and Ivanka Trump when they broke up. Oh. For them to get back together. Oh, weird. Really weird. Weird. You know, I've never had a deal brokered for me to get back together with somebody. But then again, we've never been in positions of immense political and economic power. And let's pray we never shall be. It's like hearing about this stuff, it feels like there's a completely just separate world. Like, almost like... Elysium above us with Matthew Damon uh-huh. trying to get to it feels like we're Matthew Damon. Uh-huh. Matthew all, Damon. All these all these political people are on this Elysium spaceship. I never saw the movie. Probably good, but it just feels like all of that is happening in a different realm. I mean, I think there comes a point when you attain a level of power. Let me walk this back for a second. Okay. I think that human beings are at their core the same level of happy pretty much no matter what. Unless you are in extreme diff unless you're in like extreme extenuating circumstances where like you are used to one thing and you are knocked down significantly, your health is deteriorating, uh just bad stuff is happening to you. But I think that people are the same le- level of happy at homeostasis. Pretty much no matter what. Yeah. And I think that if you're surviving, anything above survival will not give you additional happiness. It will just give you additional resources. And I think that assuming that people remain the same level of happy and unsatisfied in basically in concert, the more resources you have, the way that you interface with humanity grows stranger and more perverse. Would you say... Just to interrupt a little bit. No, you're fine. Would you say that 
when you get access to those more resources, your perception of survival gets warped. Absolutely. I mean, if if you're Mark Zuckerberg, you're not concerned about eating anymore, but you're still unsatisfied. Your concerns become different. And I think that we live in an interesting time where we have, like, hyper-monopolies on people's data and logistics. And I mean, I don't think we've had monopolies on basic concepts of the the economy and human identity, maybe since like the robber barons, but that was commodities. And, yeah, that was like steel. Yeah, it was like commodities oil. and geography. Yeah. And I think that we've never had this kind of monopoly before. And the trade of those who exist on that realm is almost completely not understandable by people. Yeah, because it's it's nothing conceptual. It, you add up all of the data that you've ever put into the internet, and you'll get a facsimile of yourself. Mm-hmm. But that's impossible to imagine. Yeah, because, I mean, if, if you were in a position where you had an extreme monopoly on human identity through data collection, and then someone said, you know, I'll give you $10 billion in exchange for, like increasing your platform with increased power through a uh, subversive digital marketing scheme, your answer to that isn't $10 billion won't buy me that many more sandwiches. It's I'm unsatisfied. Maybe this will make me more satisfied. Yeah. So your, your, your drive for power and your drive for more never stops. So you end up with things like, I'm a firm believer that if you get to a certain level of wealth, that a happy marriage is impossible because human relationships at that point become impossible. Because, yeah, the, there's it's just a completely different perception of the world in that you no longer need anything, but you want everything. Because I think that, look at your, like, Kanye Wests and Kim Kardashians or your, or your Jared Kushners of the world, and, like, you look at what they have... And if you have a relationship between two people at that level, you are not a relationship of two people who are banding together to share your resources to increase your stake of survival in your station. You are two economic planets in each other's orbit. Yeah. And, and break powerhouses. Yeah. Breakups are not a matter of I love you or I don't love you. They're a matter of your agenda is at odds with my agenda. Let us break this orbit. Yeah. My people have, have consulted with me and they say, your latest message is not in tune with my message, and therefore, you know, we should split, yo. Yeah, let us weigh the pros and cons and figure out if this is working or not. Which, it's a it parallels regular human relationships, but it's not what we consider to be one of those anymore. Well, yeah, because we don't have people. Yeah. We, we don't, don't have consultants for our daily, like, branding and lives. And I mean, at, at some point, these people just become, like such conglomerations of ideas and economic power that we can't see what they do as normal anymore, even though to them it feels perfectly natural. It's just a reflection of human nature, but at a scale that makes it seem completely alien. And the warped thing about it all is that for us, without those means, without those resources, we kind of want that. Yeah, because we think it'll make us happy. Or at least we think... That wouldn't happen to us. We're, you know, because because we've come from where we are, we won't become as warped as, as these people today. 
But the truth of the matter is you, you have no idea how you would, you would act until you're at that level. Yeah. And I mean, our, our human drive is such that, and I mean, I don't, I'm, I'm not a big fan of like a, like a naturalistic fallacy and saying that, oh, human nature drives everything, but it does. But I think that we as human beings, uh, we just always want more because we think that more resources will make us more happy because think of all the sandwiches we can buy with all that money. You keep bringing up sandwiches as a base, a base level of happiness. But when we have all that sandwich money, it's not sandwich money. It's just additional responsibilities. Yeah. And I mean, I, I was reading this thing not too long ago that's like, all you need to be happy in a major city in America long term for the rest of your life is to make about $70,000. I think I read that too. It, I think it was like $74,000. If you make for a se- household. Yeah, if you make $74,000 and that's enough to cover your expenses and that's assuming you don't have like crazy debt or a drinking problem or a, or a drug problem, then you're you're fine. For the for your, the entirety of your life. And anything over that does not contribute to your base level of happiness much more. I don't know. I just... It feels like it would, though. Like, if I dropped $100,000 in your lap, you'd be like, I'm so much happier now. I would be, because because for me, I wouldn't have worked for it. Yes, true. And, and just everything you say is probably true for people who are happy with working. Mm-hmm. But for a person who rejects the idea of working for happiness... Because that's what it is with extra steps in between. Yeah. I just, I reject it. Yeah. Not saying I would be happy homeless and on the streets. Yeah. Because I would not be. Mm -hmm. I have no illusions about that. Yeah. It's just, I I don't want my happiness tied to a monetary value, tied to a job that I'm going to have to go to every day and get used to this routine that ultimately, no matter what it is, I will not like. Yeah. And I mean, I... This is something that, like I said, I've been reading a lot about certain philosophies that I don't want to talk about. But uh, a tenant of existential nihilism is this idea that, like, life is... The only way for life to be meaningful is to live forward and acknowledge backward. So living forward means constantly trying to establish meaning in your life. And I think that a life lived where you're just trying to maintain a certain level of happiness where you're not making meaning in your life, you're going to be the same level of happy no matter what. And if you're already miserable, you're going to stay miserable even if you're a millionaire. So then to alleviate that, the the cure or at least the treatment is to try to make meaning out of what you're... What, what's happening right now yeah it's it's making meaning it's being like hey this is a family member i don't talk to very much what's their deal let me learn about them let me find meaning in connecting with a person or let me find meaning through building model ships or let me find meaning through x y and z it's not i need more so i can make i can make more so i can get more so i can make more so it's more about those small moments where for me personally, I feel kind of like strange and that I kind of observe like, why did I reach out to that person? Why did we, why are we having this conversation? And ultimately I feel good because, Hey, I didn't talk to that person in a while or Hey, I I haven't left a comment on their, their status in a while, according to Facebook. And I got a few likes for it. Mm -hmm. So in these weird, strange moments, 
I need to sort of like double down on them, observe them, or, or make get meaning from them, yeah. rather than just focusing on I have to go to the shitty job I, to get the shitty paycheck that actually is putting me well off. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, like it's it's a thing that you always have to struggle with because I struggle with finding meaning in life, but I'm always happy when I do because it's not like. And I mean, this sounds like a platitude, and I guess in a lot of ways it is, but like, you can have a shitty job that you hate, yeah. and it can pay you, and those things can be completely irrelevant as to whether or not you lead a meaningful life or not. Because How? It, because if, if you go to the shitty job, and the shitty job that you don't like has core tenants that you don't enjoy, and it gives you a paycheck, it is possible to, within the confines of that shitty job, find meaning. If you were homeless... You would find happiness in communing with other people or getting like a hobo dog or like getting a spot of sunlight. All right. And I, I know that that's kind of like a, like a caricature. It's so far extrapolated from your current like life situation. But if in the confines of a shitty situation, you can find meaning and you can live forward to try to find meaning and, and acknowledge backwards the things that you've done and the meaning that you found, you can, ideally be happier than just existing because the whole idea of existential nihilism is you want to live with meaning because in your shitty job the idea that you are trying to find meaning to offset a shitty set of circumstances the shitty set of circumstances is existence okay (laughs) so we're trying to offsetting existence as shitty with these with meaningful moments yeah to make a, like, kind of just balance out. Exactly. And make you look forward to continue looking forward. Yeah, I mean, if, if you're trying to find meaning in your life, you can get a greater happiness. Momentarily, it's constant work, and it's exhausting. It sounds, ex- it is exhausting, because one thing that I, I, that the human mind is flawed in that we can't remember what we want to remember. Yes. We can't, in the moment, say, I want to hit save. On this moment, so I can look back on it mm-hmm. and like extrapolate meaning from it, or just be reminded that in this moment I felt meaning. the The human mind is extremely flawed uh, because we we are very good at remembering things that teach us negative lessons. We're great at negative reinforcement. We're like, uh, I want to remember that time that I was really embarrassed. I want to remember that time where I felt really alone. I want to remember that time where I felt a lot of physical or emotional pain. Very easy. But if you're like, I want to remember that time where I was very glad for something. Not found. Well, it's, it's, it speaks to Darwinism. It speaks to adaptations and surviving yeah, we remember the the painful lessons, so we avoid the painful lessons in the future. We we don't step in the bear trap a second time. Yeah. Why couldn't we have adapted into a creature that was like, oh, honey tastes great. Let me remember all the times I ate honey, not all the times I got stung by the bees. I, I think it's because humankind has advanced faster than we've evolved. We've... We have advanced as a species faster than we've changed, so we are uh, sad creatures that are capable of understanding the terrible circumstances of our own existence while having no need for it. I mean, it's great that technology is going to stunt our adaptation going forward, but we're basically done at this point. Yeah, we're, we're basically 
half evolved. We're very unhappy. We have a constant drive for more in a society that cannot give it to us. Uh, we are very adapted to remember pain, which society exposes us to on a regular basis. And we are not made to feel grateful or fulfilled. All things that are necessary for the one commodity that humankind wants more than anything else now that we have great plenty, which is happiness. So, what is the solution? The solution isn't getting happiness. The solution is reprogramming the brain to not want happiness. Yeah. So sign me up for a lobotomy. <laughs> the, the, uh, I mean, that's the whole thing, right? If a genie ever gave you one wish, the one thing, the only wish that would make sense is to wish to either not exist or just to be happy for the rest of your life. Those are the, okay, well, you're forgetting the ultimate wish. Wishing for everything that you say to come true, uh-huh. thereby getting you unlimited wishes. But then what? What if everything? Let me let me twist genie this on okay, you. But hold on, because I thought through this a lot. See, uh-huh. the first thing you say is you assign yourself a key phrase. Everything I say comes true after this key phrase, uh-huh. so it can't be twisted. Then you spend a lot of time writing out exactly <laughs> what you want to say, so you don't get the words wrong. Uh huh. And then you you say, I can disable my power when I want and re-enable it with this key phrase. Uh-huh. So it's all about key phrases. I see. Twist that. That's tough. It's tough to twist that one. Uh, but I mean, like, I don't know. Wishes are silly. Yeah. I, I get trapped in these moments of of daydreaming about better circumstances like, you know, the classic ones, winning the lottery, this podcast going, like, nationally viral. We get lifted up into a, a level of fame we're not prepared for. Uh, where we just become economic planets rotating each other. Or, you know, just getting a better job. You know, the classic <laughs> wish yeah. fulfillment yeah. daydreams. And it, it always leads to the same thing. Like, it would be so great for those things to happen. And they don't. They, yeah. They're not gonna. Exactly. I don't play the lottery. I'm not saying our podcast will never get super famous, but no podcast has ever elevated anyone to the level of fame. Yeah. Um, I mean, besides like Serial, but nobody knows who's and who, who did Serial. Yeah. NPR guy. And I'm not going to get NPR a better lady. job. <laughs> yeah. I mean, those three impossible things. Um, so, so it's just like, I get happiness from the daydream. Mm-hmm. But then I come crashing back to reality. Oops, there goes gravity. Oops, mom's spaghetti. Uh, and I mean, that, uh, that of course can be tied into another, uh, idea that I try to grapple with. And it is an idea that both depresses me and makes me very happy depending on the day. Uh, if I caught, if I catch myself caught in a daydream, caught in the slipstream of a daydream, I, uh, I will think, that no matter what universe I'm imagining in the daydream, it is only a universe where I am happy. The only thing that I'm, the only thing that I want in these daydreams is for me to be happy and for the people that I love to be happy. And in that way, nothing that you daydream is better than your current circumstance because the things that you're dreaming of won't make you happier necessarily. Not necessarily. 
but we could give it a trial run. We could. I mean, I'm willing to. I'm willing to give it a shot. I mean, there was that article that like had an interview with Warren Buffett. It's like Warren Buffett says doubling your net worth won't make you happier. It's like I'll give it a shot. Yeah, I mean, I'm not gonna say no. To- if Warren Buffett's just gone around doubling people's net worth to see if they get happier, try me. I mean, he could. He, he could. He could foot the bill. Yeah, I mean. You know, maybe doubling his net worth wouldn't make him happier, but then again, he's got most of the money. Yeah, he has most of the human concept of money, so I think it's it doesn't make him happier. I mean, he prob uh, I was gonna say he drops on a dinner what I make in a year. He is very humble. He, he, I mean, he still has his child at home. Yeah, he still has his child at home. He eats like thirty dollars steak dinners, which sounds expensive to me, but only kinda. I mean, I, I just I just had a steak dinner where my steak was about $40. You goddamn asshole. It's not my fault. <laughs> I was treated to it. Oh, that goddamn asshole. Yeah. I'm they're, kidding. They're relatives oh. of my girlfriend. Oh, they're good. They're good people. Yeah, I was... Like, no, they worked forever, like, for their... For their monetary boons. Yeah, but still, like, I don't know. I've had a steak dinner, if we're bragging, that was $140. You did? I did. Oh, man. I, I was treated to it. I, I They were listing the specials at the steakhouse, and I, I instantaneously developed a signal to my girlfriend that said, I am uncomfortable here <laughs> for the food is $119 a plate, because yep. we hadn't looked at the menu yet. And later I talked to her about it. I was like, did you see when I grabbed the corner of the menu for Dear Life? She's like, yeah, I picked up on that. Yeah. I was like, I was very uncomfortable. And she's like, you should have seen my eyes. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, I I remember in the auspices of this steak dinner I was treated to in the steak days, I looked at the menu and I went, oh, no, this is not my place. This is not where I belong. And it was fine. Yeah. It was really good. It's happiness is a warm gun. <laughs> happiness is a is a warm gun. Uh, I don't know. I feel like we've gotten into a place where we get to sometimes in this podcast where we try to explain the nature of our own happiness and by extension the happiness of the rest of humanity. Trying to ex- extrapolate from our personal experiences with grappling or gripping desperately with happiness toward everyone else. Who I, there are happy people out there, and I don't know how they do it, and I applaud them. Yeah. And one day we should bring one on the show and try not to verbally bash them. I think they have unlimited wishes. You can't wish for unlimited... <laughs> That's why you have to do the ultimate wish of saying ev- everything you say comes true. It's a loophole around the unlimited wishes. Oh. Well, I mean, I, I think they just talked to a gene that said, Hey, I want unlimited wishes. And I was like, Dunzo... What if what if all this time, no one's wished for unlimited wishes because we, we had heard growing up that it doesn't work, but then the first person does it, and the genie's like, yeah, duh, duh I'm surprised more people don't do that. And he's like, genie away, and he disappears. And then the world would cease to exist. Oh, because he was a robot, and to grant his wish, he destroyed humanity. Not because if someone had unlimited wishes, then unless they killed themselves, they would undoubtedly ask to live forever, they would ask to be a time traveler, they would alter the fabric of reality, and then... Oops, there goes gravity. Oops, mom, spaghetti. Yeah. So, oops, there goes gravity, walking back, falling all the way back down the staircase that never ends. Uh, rich people are crazy. Certifiably. 
uh, certifiably insane. And I think that this has been something that Zero Credits hasn't had in a little while. One of those weird deep dives into a bunch of topics that sort of meander and meander and wander and wander. Yeah, we uh, we did something that we haven't done in a while, and we fell down a bottomless pit of despair uh, based on horrifying information. But I think one thing is certainly true. What? Delete the Facebook app. Yeah, just make that small step. Make sure they can't use your information for anything else. Go through the privacy settings and see if you can opt out of whatever the hell's going on. But one comment about the deep pit of despair is... I don't feel sad right now. I actually feel pretty happy. It's weird. Like, talking about all this makes me feel better about it. And I think that's why I sort of... I have an inclination to talk about it. I mean, I think that the nature of happiness is a... It's a loaded subject, but I think that it's something that's worth talking about and isn't just reserved for, like, Play-Doh or whatever. Is it weird that maybe this is the therapy that I've needed for so long? Just just this podcast? Just this podcast and having a weird Facebook-inspired deep dive into the pursuit of happiness starring Will Smith? Why does anyone have a podcast if not as a supplement or a replacement for therapy? I mean, Dan Harmon sure does. That exact thing we said. He, he certainly does. Uh, uh, you know what I can t- tell you, though? Delaying that Facebook app actually has kind of given me a warm glow that's carried throughout. I have a little tiny bump, a little tiny tick up in happiness for the last, like, 20 minutes. You know, we're getting to the point of the show where we normally do social media plugs. Oh, no. I think in, in the good interest of our viewers, listeners... We should not plug our Facebook page, because fuck it. Yeah, uh, based on everything that we've seen here today, we are boycotting. Here's the thing. We're going to do zero credits boycott. Twitter. Twitter hashtag. Hashtag boycott zero credits Facebook page. Boycott. Yeah, all 31 followers of that Facebook page. Boycott it. Yeah, boycott that Facebook page. And uh, you know what else we can do? Plug everything else that's not Facebook. We can plug everything else. We can raise everyone up so yeah. they can they can take them down. Let's see. Well, who do we got? We got Snapchat. Yeah, we're not on Snapchat. Who owns Snapchat? Nobody, right? It's public. Yeah, nobody. Uh, we, we there's Instagram. Uh, Snapchat's real bad after that most recent update. I I I never use it. Yeah, Instagram's real bad too. What's WhatsApp? Is that a? F- it's like a messaging app. Okay, so. Probably probably not fallow ground for advertising purposes. So there's Twitter, but Twitter's also kind of weird. Twitter's weird, but I've been spending a lot more time on Twitter. I, I'm pro-Twitter. Alright, Twitter's okay. Um... That's pretty much it. So we're at ZCPCWHJ on Twitter.com. Uh, slide into our DMs. Now I've been spending a lot of time on Twitter. I know all the lingo. So slide into our DMs, you cucks. Jesus Christ. There's no way they're still saying that in 2018. Is is that not what they say? Just the last word. Cucks? Yeah. Cucks? (laughs) Stop saying it. There's no way that that's still around. I mean, only maybe ironically, and only maybe last month. Okay, I I really have to update my lingo, paisanos. But slide into your DM is definitely... That's still super a thing. Okay, so slide into our DMs and uh, tell us why you hate Facebook. Yeah, why not? And you can send us an email, or as I like to call it, 
old-timey social media at zero credits is a podcast at gmail.com send us all your emails send us your tips on the bombing situation don't do that send those to the police <laughs> jesus christ i don't know the the police's gmail account we stream video games sometimes on twitch.tv slash zero credits oh shit is twitch owned by facebook no twitch is owned by amazon jeff bezos god damn it I love me the bees. He's not a good person. Uh, all that honey from the bees. Oh, man. We're on iTunes. You, can, on. you can find us on iTunes. And we're only uh, beholden to Tim Cook for that. I don't know who that is. He owns Apple. I thought it was a dead guy. No, he was replaced. <laughs> Unsurprisingly. They replaced the dead guy? That's amazing. But so yeah, we're on iTunes. If you could give us a review and maybe a rating on iTunes, we'd really appreciate it because, hey, let's get on that trending little thing there. <laughs> Hashtag, hey, let's get on that trending little thing there. And, of course, there's this new social media platform that I've been using a lot recently. Do you know what it's called? The Word of the, the Mouth! mouth. I feel like we really nailed that one. Of course we did, because we're special. And the word of the mouth is the best way to spread the word of the podcast. So tell your friends about us. For every two friends that you tell, they'll tell 16 friends and so forth. It's multi-level marketing, baby, and all of us are getting the profit. Actually, well, you'll tell one friend, then he'll tell one friend, and then he'll tell two friends, and then three friends, five friends... Eight friends, that thirteen the golden friends. ratio. Uh, the Fibonacci sequence. Yeah, That's, yeah, the Fibonacci yeah. sequence. Okay, nerd. <laughs> let's uh, let's Fibonacci this podcast. Uh, and say a Rivadurci, Pisanos. <laughs> yeah, a Rivadurci, Pisanos from everyone here at the Zero Credits offices, offices, <laughs> studios, <laughs> the Zero Credits warehouse, <laughs> and accompanying suites. We would just like to wish you. A happy week. Henry, watch out. There's a forklift. Beep, 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 beep. There's two. There's two forklifts. Bye.